Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. M.S.W. Media. Folks, I love St. Patrick's Day so much, I don't just limit it to a day. I spread it out over the entire month. Since March is the unofficial official month for Irish whiskey, I want to take a minute to speak about where it all began. History tells us that whiskey first appeared on the north coast of Ireland well over a thousand years ago. Generations of Irish men and women passed down this whiskey tradition where Irish barley and pure water sources were abundant. The first whiskey to last until today? Well, that's Bushmills. Bushmills is the world's oldest licensed whiskey distillery. Every other whiskey that you have known or tried came after Bushmills. And what makes Bushmills distinct? It's a single malt distillery in Ireland. Most people assume single malt whiskey came from Scotland, but Bushmills has been making single malt since long before it was even called single malt. And unlike Scotland, where single malt is only double distilled, Bushmills triple distills its single malt, creating one of the smoothest whiskeys in the world and Ireland's most awarded single malt whiskey. Most people have their usual, their go-to whiskey, but this St. Patrick's Month, I dare you to skip the usual and try the original. That's right, Bushmills, the original Single malt. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. Remember that song? Love it. It does feel like the show doesn't never end. I mean, we're going on, we've been doing this for years, but I, I'm still having a great time. I really am. And coming up on today's episode, our roving correspondent, Brad Jaffe, is going to be with us. Brad just got back from Japan, and we're going to have a lively informative, hopefully somewhat entertaining conversation about what's happening in the world of Japanese whiskey. Brad knows these things. Whiskey. Speaking of which, I uh, well, you got St. Patty's Day this week, and uh, last week I was on the Corolla show. I do my do, do a regular segment over there. Brought my buddy Paul Sanguinetti, master mixologist, uh, comedian Brad Jaffe, or excuse me, comedian Brad Williams. Brad Jaffe's funny, but he's no Brad Williams. Brad Williams was in studio, as was Adam and Chris Laxamana. We had a, a lot of fun drinking Irish whiskey and talking about it. But also, as happens on the Corolla show, they like to talk about my uh, sex toys. I have a lot of sex toys. The company sent them to me. I don't go out and buy them. I mean, they just 
I don't know why. They just do. I, by the way, I consider my Oculus glasses a sex toy. Really, it's just 3D, or not, what do you call them? Uh, virtual reality goggles. I just consider that a sex toy. But um, I also got this thing called the Auto Blow. I talked about it one time on Corolla, and then the guy who owns the Auto Blow reached out to me and said, Oh, we got to send you the latest in Auto Blow technology. And he sent it over to me, and we got to talking about that on Corolla. And it led to one of my favorite moments ever on the Corolla show. Because one of the things with Adam, he's not an easy guy to make laugh. He just isn't. He's one of the funniest men in the world. But to get him to crack up, take something. And Chris Laxamana asked me a question about my uh, my auto blow machine, my blowjob machine. And... Uh, and this was how it went down, and, and I think it's going to be one of my proudest moments. Dan, I'm assuming you've had a, a real blowjob. How does the <laughs> auto blow compare? To the real blowjob? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, how close is well, it? Well, I don't have to tell it when I'm about <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to give it away. The warning, you know? <laughs> 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 Courtesy, uh, hey, guess what's coming? Uh, <laughs> won't get pissed at me. I made them laugh like that. No, uh, funny, you know, I beeped out the three letter word for me having an orgasm. I don't know why I bleeped that out. <laughs> it's not like I can't say it on on the in a podcast. It's just like I felt it, it was kind of gross. Like the, I, the, the thought of me saying it, I think, conjures an image in your head that I just don't want there. Because I care about you. I don't want you to be haunted by that word and the and the imagery that comes along with it. But anyway, that happened on Corolla. We also, we had a Irish coffee that Paul made. And it was one of the greatest Irish coffees. And it was uh, the recipe from the Buena Vista Cafe up in San Francisco. That's the most famous Irish coffee recipe in the world. And since St. Patrick's Day is upon us this week, I thought that I would uh, play a little thing we did a while back. We did a three-minute bartender, our wildly popular segment, three-minute bartender, about the Irish coffee. And it's basically everything you ever needed to know about the Irish coffee. And, well, here it is. We're all busy, and that's why sometimes you want a good drink and you want it fast. So strap in and hold on tight, friends. This is the three-minute bartender. Three Minute Bartender is an evergreen resource. Still, we're recording this in February during a record cold snap. So this is a warm drink that will keep you super alert so you can get really into the shitty weather we're having. Now, Irish coffee is sort of the original Four loco, And they banned the original Four loco with caffeine, but they can't take away my Irish coffee. This is a great drink if you want to have your judgment impaired while getting hopped up on a powerful stimulant. Oh, Ireland, is there anything you can't make into a bar fight? Here's what you need. Good coffee, pretty good Irish whiskey, brown sugar, heavy cream. Equipment-wise, you're going to need a coffee maker, a bar spoon, and a way to whip cream. And again, good coffee is a key to a good end product. As far as the Irish whiskey goes, I never recommending using fancy booze in a hot drink. Think classics. Patty, Bushmills, Jameson, Powers. If you must buy fancy, the fanciest you should get is Tullamer Dew. Now, like most drinks, Irish coffee has a disputed origin. Several people claim to have invented it. But anyone who claims they were the first person to put liquor into coffee is an idiot. Classic story is this. It was invented in 1943 by Joe Sheridan at the Foynes Air Base Flying Boat Terminal. I say again, Flying Boat Terminal. Stay Ireland, Ireland. 
Pan Am flight bound for America was turned back due to inclement weather, and Joe invented the Irish coffee on the spot to warm and soothe the passengers, but keep them up so they could be ready to leave whenever that plane was ready to get the hell out of there. Someone asked, is this Brazilian coffee? And Joe replied, no, it's Irish coffee. There's a travel writer for the San Francisco Chronicle named Stanton Delaplane. He tried it on his way through the airport, immediately fell in love with the drink, and brought it to America. San Francisco's Buena Vista Cafe began serving it in 1952. Thereafter, it gained international fame. Now, that's a great story, but probably not the true origin of the drink. There are documented coffee cocktails going back 100 years before Joe Sheridan. The Viennese were drinking rum and whipped cream in their coffee in the 1800s. They called it a pharisaer. The French were also drinking coffee and liquor in the 1800s. They called theirs a gloria. And the Irish version probably didn't start with Joe Sheridan either. May have started at a Dublin pub called the Dolphin. Cream and sugar were being added to disguise the terrible taste of World War II ration coffee. Whiskey was added because it's fucking Dublin. Regardless, the Buena Vista is where the Irish coffee got famous. And hell, they make a really good Irish coffee at the Buena Vista. But so can you. And here's how. Fill up a mug with hot water to warm it up. Dump it out and fill it three quarters with hot coffee. Add sugar to taste, about a teaspoon, and Irish whiskey to taste. Then float very cold, lightly whipped cream on top. Cream should be thickened, but still a little runny. Now remember, you're drinking alcohol, and you're also drinking coffee. Too much of either can result in poor decision-making. Too much of both can result in making poor decisions with increased speed and certainty. There are variations to the Irish coffee. Jamaican coffee is the same thing with rum. Highland coffee is the same thing with scotch. Some people will tell you to use Baileys in place of cream. Those people are monsters. If you're filthy, use Ready Whip. If you're really filthy, use Cool Whip. If you're extremely filthy, use Instant Coffee, Splenda, and Cool Whip. And then to top it all off, Canadian Mist. And finally, I'll leave you with a joke. Old Man Murphy and Old Man Sean were contemplating life when Murphy asked, If you had to get one or the other, would you rather have Parkinson's or Alzheimer's? Eh, sure, I'd rather have Parkinson's, replied Sean. Tis better to spill a couple of ounces of Jameson whiskey than to forget where you keep the bottle. Stay warm out there, folks, and remember, there's never been a storm that couldn't be weathered with our old friend alcohol. Don't you feel smarter? Well, that's what we're here for. To learn you on the ins and outs and the history and the lore and the recipes and the technique of making of the drinks. There you go. A little tired today. I watched the uh, Oscars. Not that it's on that late out here. It, it ends. Well, it didn't end. The best joke of the night was Jimmy Kimmel at the end. He said, now we joined Good Morning America already in progress. That's how long these Oscars felt. And I know it feels like piling on, but I, the more and more when I watch the speeches and the, and the, the import, the, it's a fucking gold little statue for making a movie. And don't be wrong. If I ever win an Oscar, I'm going to cry like a baby up there. But what I won't do is try to make the moment more significant than it actually is. And a lot of that has to do with inclusiveness, and, and, and I get all that, I'm fully supportive of it, but Jesus, come on. This isn't, uh, this isn't, you know, the Arab Spring. This is, what's happening up on stage? People, I heard several times, people say, this is history in the making. It's a historic moment that I won this Oscar. In fact, it was in one speech, the guys, the directors, and they seem like great guys. And I'm not, I, you know, I'm not here to shit on them. But the one guy, and, I, and I'm sure when you're up there on stage, you got to, you know, look at me. I'm babbling right now and I'm recording this. I can even edit this. That's how bad I am at it. But 
the one director, one of the Dans of Everything Everywhere All at Once, was talking about unlocking your genius and that it takes a group to help you do that. And, all, and that's a really fine sentiment. But then he, he thanked everyone for helping to unlock his genius. And I don't know. It struck me. I'm like, that guy's calling himself a genius. <laughs> he's in a category with Steven Spielberg and he's calling himself a genius. E.T. phone home. E.T. phone home. Come on, Dan. Second Dan, first Dan, one of the two Dans. Great movie. Enjoyed it, but, you know, pump the brakes, okay? All right, now that I got that little rant out of the way, let's uh, take a quick break, and we come back and we talk to our man, Brad Jaffe. Folks, St. Patrick's Day is almost here, and I'll tell you how I'm going to be celebrating with proper number 12 Irish Apple. That's right. It's the latest launch and first new flavored whiskey from MMA champ Conor McGregor's proper number 12 since the brand launched in 2018 made from a blend of Ireland's finest gold grain and single malt whiskey. Proper number 12 Irish Apple combines the whiskey that Connors fans know and love with delicious notes of crisp and juicy Irish apple. It's got a smooth finish. It's like Connor knocking somebody out. You can see it coming. McGregor's whiskey has long been smashing the competition, and this new product's no different. Whether out at the bar or with friends or enjoying a drink at home, proper number 12 Irish apple is the perfect balance of crisp apple, warm caramel, oak, and brown butter. I like it neat, but you can do it on the rocks or make a proper cocktail. It's now available all across the country at just $24.99 a bottle. Proper number 12 Irish apple is liquid gold that can't be missed. Comes in 50 milliliter bottles, 750 milliliter, one liter, whatever you need. Proper number 12 Irish Apple is perfect for whatever your night has to offer. And for more information, please visit properirishapple.com. Knockout. Stale is one of my least favorite words in the English language. It's a real blah word, isn't it? Stale rhymes with fail, which nobody likes to do, and kale, which nobody but weirdos really likes to eat. I prefer an antonym to stale, and that's fresh, as in fresh victor line of all natural clean label cocktail mixers that really come in handy when you're having a little drinking sesh see what i did there rhymes with fresh yeah anywho fresh victor offers nine unique blends with contemporary flavors designed to tantalize any palate i love them all but my absolute favorites are three citrus and mint leaf strawberry and lemon and cactus pear and pomegranate All of the ingredients are fair trade sourced, there's nothing artificial, and the mixers are produced at a 100% solar-powered juicing plant with absolutely no waste. And right now, Fresh Victor is offering a funky fresh deal to what we're drinking listeners. Simply go to freshvictor.com, fill up your shopping cart, and at checkout enter promo code FVDAN20. Fresh Victor Dan 20. FVDAN20. You get 20% off your order. Think of all the money you'll save while also becoming the envy of all the amateur mixologists in your neighborhood. Now's the time to treat yourself to the very best mixers on the market, and that's Fresh Victor. Joining me now, it's our official roving correspondent, Brad Jaffe, back from Japan. Konnichiwa, Dan. Konnichiwa. Konnichiwa. That is Japanese for how are you? I'm uh, I'm all right. I've had uh, better mornings. Uh, I I told Brad off the air. I uh, I imbibed a little bit. I might have possibly 
Doesn't really happen that often, guy like me, but I might have possibly overindulged last night, Brad. But that's neither here nor there. Over imbibed? I, I over imbibed. Over imbibed. But I'm good. I'm good. I'm here. So okay. good to see you, man. You are uh, you were in Japan, and you wrote a, a big piece for Bloomberg Pursuits uh, about yes, yes, your trip over funny. there. And uh, you know, I realized we don't, we we haven't done a lot on this show about Japanese uh, whiskey, and so this is perfect. Good time to get you in chatting about it. Great. I've got a lot to chat about. I've, I've brought some uh, friends along with me in the form of uh, some great bottles over here that uh, some of which are mentioned in uh, in the story and actually have poured something since the show is what we're drinking. Um, I am drinking orange juice. <laughs> there you go. Mm, Breakfast yummy. Um, this is a very special bottling here, uh, as you could tell by the uh, kanji lettering there yeah brad's uh, holding up a bottle for those of you who are listening to the oh, podcast yeah, which is what you do but uh <laughs> holding up a bottle that has I forget, I forget that this is an audio medium a nearly just, empty bottle by the way that is true um but there's one number on there dan well there's a couple but what's that big number in bold for your 55 55 very interesting very years old Years old. It's even older than you, Dan. It's a whiskey from wow. Japan that is even older than you are. Now, where where is it from? What distillery? It's from Yamazaki. Yamazaki, 55-year-old. Uh, you should have your producer do a quick Google on uh, how much a bottle of that might run for. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But let's just talk broadly, more broadly, about the phenomenon of Japanese whiskey itself. Yeah? All right. Let's hear it. Okay. So... So, you know, up to a decade ago, as recently as a decade ago, it was still kind of uh, an esoteric thing, a curiosity that you might see on the shelf of your local liquor store collecting dust. Um, Miyamoto-san, Mike Miyamoto, who was uh, a distiller over there at Centauri at Yamazaki for many years, who I know you know. Hold, um, hold on a second. Would... I need to interrupt you. Is this true? Yes. It's yeah. saying it's around a million dollars. <laughs> you did have your producer google that yes a that million is true. dollars <laughs> i am going to sip a million dollar whiskey with holy crap is that the most expensive thing you've ever uh consumed um i, I don't this is is this a family program i don't know yeah well how i mean how did you how how did you get it back in the states like were you worried that they might take it away from you or um it's a constant it's a constant uh you know this is a sample let me yeah and so everybody understands the bottle that brad was holding up was not a full bottle it was a a little mini bottle but nonetheless that amount of liquid that you're holding right there is got to be i'm doing the math that's got to be about fifty thousand dollars worth of whiskey should i sip fifty thousand dollars worth of whiskey and tell you what it is bastard and i'm drinking tropicana orange juice what the (laughs) hell is going on here man what would you mix what if somebody busted out that 55 year old yamazaki and said hey you got any coca-cola and pour that in there would you smack it right out of their hands um, I mean, just a funny, quick little side note is that I was with uh, some of my friends from Centauri once, and we were in London at this uh, really fancy Japanese uh, bar and restaurant. Uh, I won't name names right now, um, but they give us a flight of over a thousand pounds worth of whiskey in three pours. It was Yamazaki 25. It was Hakushu 25 Sherry Cast, which is a very rare bottling of Hakushu 25, and I believe Habiki 30. They give us the three pours, one ounce pours of each, on the rocks. 
without oh, asking us no. if we to be on ice. Yeah, so damn um, it. The tie in there is that the bartender who was kind of like we were very displeased with was like, oh, uh, you know, what the kids would call mansplaining. He was like, no, you see, this is the way that they do things in Japan. And he's saying this to dudes that work for Suntory, you know, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, is that is that, you know, we've spent some time in Japan and no, they're not just going to give you $1,000 pours of whiskey on the rocks without asking you about it beforehand. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, you one of the things you mentioned in the in the story, you were at a place called Vir, Virtu. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, Virtu. Yeah, Virtu at the Four place. Seasons, and this is in Tokyo, Otamashi and, in the Otamashi district of Tokyo. Yes, and you've got you had a Hibiki Thirty for just mm-hmm. under three hundred dollars a pour. Is that what you're talking about? Is that the one they put on the? On the rocks? No, that was so. This was in London, the story I'm telling you about. In Japan, they would never, ever do that, and certainly not in Virtu. And, uh, you know, part of the story, what I'm talking about is such a great time to go to Japan. Obviously, they just opened back up to, to outsiders. They were closed for a very long time on account of that little uh, sickness that was going around. I don't know if you heard about No. Um, But also um, the exchange rate, excuse me, is really favorable to the U.S. dollar right now. It was even more so a couple of months ago. It was like something like, you know, like one dollar would be 150 yen. Now it's like, I think, closer to 120, 125. Again, have your producers look that up. But the point is, is that it's good. It's it's a good time to go out there and spend. I had uh, the best tonkatsu of my life uh, at Suzuki Tonkatsu, which is in Tokyo Station. This beautiful spread of incredible pork cutlet, shrimp, uh, fried shrimp, tempura, miso soup, and a, a lager. Very fulfilling lunch. And it was $15, Dan. It was 15 wow. USD. Yeah. You rode a bullet train. To, I did. The you went into the uh, Nagano pre- Prefecture uh, where the <laughs> Japanese Alps. And what was this distillery? I- Ayama Mountain Farm Distillery? Let's hear yeah, a little yeah, bit about Yama. that. Iyama uh, Mountain Farm Distillery uh, is in Iyama, as you might imagine, and uh, they have the most, you know, Dan, you and I see a lot of beautiful uh, distilleries, a lot of beautiful areas of production in our life. This is one of the most beautiful still houses I ever walked into because they built this glass enclosure around it so that behind it, you just see the mountains of Nagano just staring you in the face. If For those of us old enough to remember, that was the uh, host uh, area region of the 1998 uh Olympic uh, winter games, uh, winter Olympics, and they're just staring you in the face. And by the way, Dan, you know, you spend a lot of time on, on earth, um, you know, a couple of decades and you start to think that maybe, you know, all the mammals that exist, certainly the big land mammals. Yeah. And it turns out like there is one that I didn't even know existed. And it's just, you know, kind of sauntered by in the background of this distillery. Um, and I don't know, maybe you've heard of the, uh, I believe it's called a uh, Cerro. No. no. What is it? What kind of an animal is it's, it? <laughs> it's like, a, a cross between like a goat and an antelope. It's a goat hyphen antelope, ungulate mammal, okay, that's found primarily in northern and central Honshu. Um, and yeah, it's just a hybrid. It's like a goat and an antelope fucked at some point in the past. Huh. Yeah. And, well, it does get lonely up in those mountains. And if it you're does, it does. if you're a goat. And you don't see any other goats around. You see that antelope. You're like, you know, all right. Normally, I wouldn't go there. But maybe today, I'm going right. to fuck that antelope. And there you go. Yeah. What's it called again? You know, 
it well it we call it a sero which is s e r o uh the japanese have their own term for it um which is uh i'm going to have to look that up because i do not remember that one but uh you would know it if you saw it you'd be like what the hell well there were um, monkeys there too right snow monkeys oh, up in gosh, the monkeys man don't even get me started on the snow monkeys um, are snow monkeys they, dangerous um i think i mean it depends on what you're wearing dan like you know you're you're a very handsome man <laughs> what, and, uh, certain clothing sets them off <laughs> yeah certain clothing and fuckers wearing know, leather jacket Let's get <laughs> scantily clad humans you know can really uh so wait them, let me uh, make sure uh, i got this because you are a naturalist uh you are saying now for the record that snow monkey attacks are purely based on wardrobe <laughs> I'm just saying that, you know, there are Shouldn't have wore that car hard hat, Brad. (laughs) They fucking love that makes them nuts. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I think you're making all this shit up. You're making up mammals and you're making up snow monkeys. You didn't even we aren't even over there. Where were you? I never even went to Japan. (laughs) I was in I was on (laughs) Sawtell. Well, there actually is a part at your at the end of the story where you very helpfully point out that if you can't go to Japan, there are places in in America where you can at least experience somewhat the ja- the Japanese drinking culture in Amman, New York. Is that what I'm? Is that right? Right, right. right. So Saki that is, no Hana. Okay, yeah. And let's let's go to Kumiko. <laughs> Not good. By the way, if you go to Kumiko, they'll fuck you up if you're wearing denim. Yeah, you can't go. Oh, in. yeah, they'll attack just you like the, immediately, just like, like the snow, snow monkeys. monkeys. No, they have <laughs> snow monkeys that they've imported <laughs> for that reason. No denim, uh, but no. Let's stay. Let's stay in Japan first, and then we'll get to that part of it. Okay. So, okay, and it's the kamoshika, by the way, for your very curious listeners. That is what they call the Japanese sero uh, over there in uh, Honshu. It is called the kamoshika. So you could just be walking around. Do they have bears wandering around? So this distiller. Uh, from Yama was telling me, you know, living there during the lockdown period. And obviously, you know, nature uh, was asserting its presence a little bit more while we were all uh, inside. And he just saw bears walking what kind around. Of bears? A black bear. A lot of people don't realize just right there, uh, an hour and a half bullet ride train outside of Tokyo, one of the biggest cities in the world. You will just see bears walking along your property. But not grizzly bears. No, no, black not bears. grizzly. <coughs> I just read a piece about... um. These two, these, well, there are four of them. They were college wrestlers and they went hiking up. They were shedding, it's called, where you, you, they collect antlers that uh, left behind, right? And they're worth money. So they went to do this and they split up into groups of two. And the two Uh of them were up on this trail. And all of a sudden, the one guy's up ahead, he hears this crack, crackling, cracking noise, and he screams, bear. And it's a grizzly, and it fucking okay. hits him, right? And it attacks mm-hmm. him. And the friend, who's maybe like 20 feet away, like nuts. Like, this is a friend you want to have. Rather than yeah. run away, and his friend is getting attacked. Like, the bear's on top of him. Actively, actively. Runs at the grizzly. First he throws shit at it, the grizzly doesn't give a shit, right? Then he uh-huh. runs at it, and jumps onto the grizzly's back. Holy shit. At which point the grizzly turns its attention away from the one friend that he was attacking and comes after him and gets his head in its mouth and he can feel his skull cracking as the grizzly is biting his head and 
at that moment, uh, I guess something scared the grizzly away. Well, he went limp because he was dying. I mean, yeah, and yeah. the grizzly put him down and thought he was dead and was like, and then he said the grizzly was trying to roll him over, but he had a backpack on and he thinks the backpack saved his life because if the, what he thinks was happening was the grizzly was going to roll him over and then finish the job, you know, bite into him and he mm. couldn't roll him over because of the backpack. And then something distracted the grizzly. The other friends heard it and were screaming and running up the hill. And I think the guy had a shotgun or something and not that that would have stopped the grizzly, but the grizzly left them alone. And then they carried the guy out of there and he's got, he lived. He's got massive scarring on his face and stuff. But anyway, right, right. I thought I'd break, did that, not, that did not happen to you in Japan, Brad. That did not happen to me, nor did I. No snow uh, monkey attacks? Large packages of cocaine that were imbibed by said bears. What would you rather, all right, let me ask you this. And I know this is a show about drinking and your adventures in Japan, but let me just ask you this. You got mm-hmm. a choice, all right? Right. You're in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And you see coming at you a giant fin of right. a great white shark, or you are in the middle of a field, and across the field you see a grizzly bear, bear. begin bear. to charge at you. Which- ten times out of ten, because I trust myself more on land. I'm a land-based mammal, you know. Like at least I'm in my own element there. Look, like the chances are very grim in either of the uh, suppositions that you put before me, but. At least I'm in my element on land. In water, like, no, that's just, All right. you know. Well, I words. I somewhat agree, but here's the, the facts are this. You have a way better chance of surviving the great white attack. Now, you might lose a limb, you might lose an arm, you might lose a leg. But yeah. when the great white realizes that you're not its food source, that's what usually yeah, it happens. Stops. It's usually, yeah. it leaves, True. generally. The bear... Uh-huh is going to fuck you up. And also, from what I understand, a very excruciatingly painful death, unless it unless it hits you with its paw and just kills you immediately. Yeah, of course. But like, if it starts to eat you, it's going to be way yeah. more painful than the Great White. Of course. No, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about this late at night is like how terrible it would be to like die by getting eaten by something, you know? Yeah. It's like, oh, fuck. Like, I am just somebody's meal right now. Like, that's not. Imagine a pack of snow monkeys eating you. That would be painful because that's going to be slow. My implication is that before they eat you, they might be trying to do some some sex stuff. And that was kind of, uh, you know, a little bit. (laughs) So the key is don't ever wear corduroy around snow monkeys. They hate corduroy. Makes them crazy. All right. So. You're wait, over wait, there. One quick thing oh, about the bears is that, you know, just for your listeners and to try and like put a PSA out there for people is that the general rule of thumb is that if it's brown, lay down. If it's black, fight back. And if it's white, say good night. So white being white being the uh, the polar bear or or a, co- a cocaine bear. <laughs> well, know, or... no, I, I have a good friend uh, who is from Newfoundland, Canada. Okay. And he said I that on occasion, a polar bear would, they would like float down in the ice, basically. On the iceberg. And yeah. walk through town. And he said, <laughs> you know, when you see a polar bear, you, you hide. Because if they yeah. if they come at you, you're they're not stopping. 
not only are they not stopping and not only are they the most vicious, but they're also generally the most hungry, right? So like a bear isn't really trying to uh, use too much energy. Like a lot of nature, like they just want the easiest food that they can find. I've been to Katmai Peninsula, which I highly suggest anybody do in uh, the uh, kind of the lower parts of Alaska where Grizzly Man was was living at the oh, yeah. time that he was eaten. Um, and you walk, these bears walk right past you. You know, like oh, yeah. Atlanta, uh, coastal grizzly bears walk right past you and they do not give a fuck about your presence because they're there for the salmon run and salmon are literally flying into their mouths. They don't even have to move. They just go, <laughs> ah, you know, and this food flies into their mouth. So that's what they're looking for. That's what like any carnivore is really looking for is to minimize the type of fighting that might be necessary. They don't want their meals fighting back. So a bear that comes across you and wants to eat you is very hungry. Um, has been fucked with, you know, there's something going on with well, that that's, bear. You, you mentioned Grizzly Man. If you haven't watched that documentary, I recommend it. Um, that's what happened there was this idiot, Christopher Treadwell, right? Wasn't his name? Uh, yeah. 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 It was pestering this bear. That's the, he kept following this one particular bear. And yet there was video of him going, oh, this bear wants to be left alone, but he kept bothering the bear and then the bear killed him and his girlfriend. Um, I was once at- um, Girlfriend survived, Dan. No, both dead. She died too? Oh, yeah. Dan. Yeah. Wow. Um, both dead. Like, not. did you see the movie, right? The guy said the scene was gruesome. Like, there wasn't a yeah. lot left of either one of them. Not, I, not the guy. It was Werner, Werner Herzog. Was well, no, but the, the, the ranger that came across the scene oh, is interviewed okay. in the yeah, movie yeah. and he tears up right. like how bad it was. Um I was in, uh, what is it? Not, not Yellowstone. I've been to Yellowstone, but what's up? Yosemite. Yeah. So I was in Yosemite a couple of years ago and we hiked the John Muir trail. And at the bottom of the John Muir trail, there was a, a bear, a, a brown bear, big one, uh, at a tree. And he was like picking bark off a tree or whatever. And I videoed it and I, friends of mine saw they're like, are you crazy? Were you worried? And I'm like, no, because there was a small group of people that had gathered and were looking at the bear and my first thing I did is I looked to my left and there was a, an old woman and her daughter. And I'm like, well, I can outrun them. <laughs> That's all they say. Don't they say. have to outrun the bear. Just have to outrun them. Follow me. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. Jeez. Like, seriously, that was a thought that went into my head. I'm like, well, if he comes at us, I just got to get, I got to beat them. And that's, yeah. I'm so that, that much in other of, words, I'm that much more pussy. List. For your listeners, you are not that friend that is going to jump on top of the bear no. and save your friends. <laughs> I would have already been thinking of my cover story. I'd be like, so what <laughs> happened was Brad was there and uh, I looked over and Brad was clearly already dead. And so yeah, I just started yeah, yeah. running. And uh, It's not going to be Brad because Brad is not hiking with Dan after hearing this story. Well, the so. guy, I mean, the guy that jumped on the bear's back got the worst of it. You know, the bear yeah, then sure. turned its attention to him and- that's a friend, man. You owe that yeah. motherfucker. Like that, you, he's never picking up a bar tab when you go out. You gotta be like, hey, the, the bill comes and he, I would just look over every time and go, hey, man, you got this, right? <laughs> you're, you're paying. I, I saved your fucking life from a grizzly. But by the way, how's that for, you know, we talk about stories you tell in bars. That's oh, a yeah. fucking story. When you, somebody, oh, what happened to your face? What's the scar? Well, Funny you should ask. Funny you should ask. My buddy was getting attacked by a grizzly, and I jumped on the motherfucker's back. And yeah. it, I don't think people would believe it. 
I don't think so either. But if you had some sort of documentation, or if you had the friend with you, yeah, whip out the up. fucking story in Sports Illustrated and go, here it is. Look, yeah, this it, is me. Yeah. Like carry that in your back pocket because like any bar you go to for life, like you should be getting laid for life without question. 100%. Speaking of bars, I, I did mention to Brad, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I'm a little hungover. I also pulled a, a bar faux pas. I left the bar without mm-hmm. paying. Now, right. fortunately, I know the bartender who texted me and, and gave me a gentle reminder that I owe them what is probably going to be a significant bar tab because I was buying drinks for people. Uh, how does that work over there in Japan, Brad? Do you have to put down a credit card when you sit down oh, at the bar? Yeah. Uh, not when you put, not when you sit down, they, you know, a lot of these bars are really so tiny that like, we're talking like six or seven seats. I mentioned in the story, my favorite bar in the world, probably, which is bar Ben Fittick. Um, the man behind that is, is Hiro-san. Uh, and Hiro puts a lot of trust in you. Of course, like he's not asking for a credit card when you sit down, but it'd be very awkward um if you just walked out of there you also have to go down nine stories is this Uh, the same hero that dreams of sushi no that's jiro so jiro Jiro dreams of sushi not far away in ginza um this is here have you ever been there uh to jiro i have not unfortunately but um it is quite a special experience from all accounts. It's also the most expensive meal in the world per minute because it's something like, you know, several hundreds of dollars and it's a 30 minute long meal, which I would rather have personally than a lot of these Michelin meals that are like four or five hours, some of which we did experience on this trip. But, you know, just get them in and get them out. What know, do you drink with people. Japanese whiskey? Is it, do, what do, do I they do, do, they do sushi whiskey? with Japanese whiskey or no? Oh, what do I eat with it? I mean, excuse um, me, not drink, yeah, eat. I'm hungover. I can tell, tell this man is hungover. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can, you could have sushi. I mean, usually they're having it like we would do like more of before the meal and after the meal during the meal, I'm kind of switching to sake. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that that's, uh, that's kind of like the traditional way to do things. But uh, a lot of these cocktail bars don't even serve food at all. They're just going to kind of give you like the the nuts, uh, the nuts and the little trinkets that they put down in front of you. Um, it's also really funny. I was there in uh, at that bar that I told you about at um, uh, Bar Ben Fittick and ran into uh, some uh, yes. local legends friends with over there in Los Angeles. That's crazy. Yeah. You ran Rhea um, and Adam. Yeah. Absolutely. Nuts. And they were just, yeah, they were just sitting at the bar. I hear them talking and I'm like, Adam. And he's like, Brad. And I'm like, wow, small world, but not as shocked as you would be like running into somebody that, you know, from half a world away in the middle of the street, we were in the greatest bar in the planet. So it's par for the course that you you're going to find there. bartenders when you're in there, you know, now what about this distillery you went to Niseko, Niseko? Yeah, Niseko Distillery. They don't um, actually offer any whiskey? What does that mean? What do you, what, what right. Kind of so so this is a distillery up there in Hokkaido, um, which is the island north of the main island of Honshu. It's where a lot of people go to ski. Some world-class powder up there. Um, it's really fast powder. I know you like to ride, Dan. It's like it, it's really fast is the best way I can describe it. And there's just a really cool town up there. Uh, Niseko is kind of like the general area. Um, and so Niseko, the eponymous uh, distillery up there, started in 2021. They have beautiful copper pot stills. And they just brought in a bunch of sake brewers um, because it's a sake company that started this. And they taught them how to distill. And got into the science of it. They've already been making sake, of course, but that's not distilling. That's just brewing. And then you just let them loose. And they're like, okay, you guys got this. You've got a team of three or four people up there. 
just start making it. The reason why you can't taste the whiskey, Dan, is because it started in 2021. Uh, Japanese whiskey, much like scotch and Irish, needs to be a minimum of three years in the barrel before you can even call it whiskey. So you can taste some stuff, uh, new make or stuff that's been aging in the barrel, as I did when I was at uh, Iyama uh, Mountain Distillery, um, but it's not whiskey yet, right? By law or by definition. Oh boy, am I excited to announce that one of our original sponsors, that's right, an OG, I guess it would be an OS, right? Original sponsor. Okay, sure. With us from the beginning, they took a little break, and now they're back in the mix, and I'm talking about Rabbit Hole. My go-to for American whiskey, Rabbit Hole makes bourbon and rye in extremely small batches. We're only talking 15 barrels or less at this amazing distillery. They have smack dab in the middle, downtown Louisville, Kentucky. And Rabbit Hole's recipes are totally unique. They were created by their founder, a guy named Kaveh, personal friend of mine, one of the coolest guys in the bourbon business. Kaveh and his team at Rabbit Hole spare no expense making their bourbon and rye. They have their own cooking methods. They use top-of-the-line grains. They never chill filter, and they use barrels that are toasted, charred, and wood-fired, which almost nobody does anymore. And what you end up with by doing that is a line of bourbon and rye, these really rich, deep flavors that are unlike anything you've ever tasted. And right now, Rabbit Hole's offering a special deal for my listeners. You get $5 off your first order if you order through Drizzly. That's right. Get it delivered through Drizzly and enter code RABBIT. You get $5 off your first order. And trust me on this, folks. You're going to want to get in there and order that right now. Get that Rabbit Hole. Well, you, you talk about this in the article that... There is a drought, a Japanese whiskey drought that is going to get worse. Tell us a little bit about that. What's happening? Right. So um, getting back to the popularity and the phenomenon of Japanese whiskey as something that just blew up, uh, it kind of happened pretty much overnight, which is the crazy thing. It was this curiosity, as I mentioned, up until like 2013. It's like 2014, where a uh, a whiskey writer who wrote the Whiskey Bible, um, we shouldn't really talk his name because he's been canceled uh, in the interim since writing this. Wait, but it was a big has pop- he? Well, we can mention yeah. his name. Jim Murray? Yeah. yeah why, why did he, how did he get canceled? I didn't even know about this. Uh, yeah, he just, he was using very suggestive terminology in some of his descriptions. And, uh, you know, you talk about, I don't know the specifics of his terminology, um, because I get triggered by that kind of stuff. I just stop reading, but apparently like, you know, it was like stuff like, you know, comparing like this, the taste of this whiskey to a woman's breasts or something like that. You know, I do that all the time. You're saying I shouldn't do it anymore. (laughs) Oh shit. (laughs) I just described a uh, an Irish whiskey as making it's very uh, jizz inducing. You're saying that's bad? Oh, yeah. No, I can't uh, say that. Maybe jizz, jizz inducing. I don't think on its own would be problematic. You know, well, you know it's funny. That's... Earlier in the show, I played a little snippet from my last, my most recent appearance on the Adam Carolla show, and right. we were talking about this uh, blowjob machine that I have. Oh, okay, the auto yeah. blow. But what's funny is we were saying blowjob, blowjob, blow. But what I did beep. I put a little beep into the clip. It wasn't in the Corolla show. It ran as is, but I beeped okay. it was the word come. C- C-U-M. C-U-M. I beeped it. And not because I think only because I just felt like people didn't want to hear me say it, but I just said it now. Yeah. So should I be, I'd probably have to go back and beep that word too. Yeah, probably. So. It's just and more the listening. imagery. So you're saying Jim, yeah. Mary, you suggestive language. Yeah. 
like and, and and not just talking about his bodily fluids that i think is fine if it's your own bodily fluids but he was talking about the female form oh. uh, and mischievous and you know so that's this total side point you know maybe that's a separate show for you altogether dan but the point is is that at the time contemporaneously um the whiskey bible was a kind of a big deal and certainly what it was a big deal for was when it named for the first time ever not a scotch this this is um, this man is from the united kingdom and he chose a japanese whiskey as the best whiskey of the year and it was such a novel thing right people are like what the hell which and whiskey so was it do you remember it was yeah it was the 2013 uh, yamazaki sherry cask release so you can look that up that bottle gets not as much as the yamazaki 55 i'm about to drink but it gets probably about 20 grand you know for one bottle now just because this was such a uh, bellwether moment for japanese whiskey and it's such a famous bottling so when that happened the people at Centauri were very shrewd. Their marketing team and, and their PR team kind of sprung to action, sprung to life. And they're like, we can get this. This is one of these moments that, you know, we're in this insular world, Dan. We're like, you know, we know the things that we know in the whiskey world that bartenders know and brand ambassadors. But every now and then there's a big moment that happens that transcends and goes onto the front page cover. Like, you know, when uh, Clooney sold Casamigos, you know, you had all your buddies that know nothing about booze. were like, whoa, Dan, did you know about this? He sold it for a billion dollars, right? This was. It's like when I had Pitbull on my show. Everybody, you had everybody was just show. like, can you believe it? Pitbull's career's over. Um <laughs> <laughs> Can yeah, I say exactly. something, by the way? I One of the yeah. things that goes along with our job is occasional uh, memory loss. <clears throat> and what I'm remembering now is I've had that 55-year-old. You know where I had it? With Dan Cohen, our friend that used to be at Beam. They did an event at Nobu in Malibu a few uh -huh. years ago. And yep. they brought it in. And I remember it was like in this glass case like protected so apparently they have some of it still at nobu like it's one of the one of about three or four places maybe in the united states where you can right. get it because people that go there can afford it um <laughs> i had it and i remember i was sitting next to the guy from law daniel day kim i think his name is he was on lost and hawaii 50 and he and i drank yamazaki 55 year i did have it so take that and bread <laughs> And also, I had by it the before way, you. Let me just say that. Um, there, <laughs> and I didn't have to go to Japan either. Just drove up the coast of Malibu. There was um, a an article, by the way, that I wrote about Chef Nobu for Food and Wine, which your listeners can can read, and his special relationship with Yamazaki and how he got his own single barrel of Yamazaki, which nobody has been able to get. So that's an interesting read as well. There's so, in other words, there's a reason why they decided to have to have that it there. Yeah, there. And so I did the tasting. You are right. Like you got to taste it before me. They did another event in New York a week after that, that I was at and special surprise. We're, we're having a meal, you know, with the Yamazaki 55 special surprise. Here comes Nobu and he just comes in and waves hello at everybody. Cause he was the person preparing the food. So that was kind of, well, I think he was surprise. at the one in Malibu too. He came to the event. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. I'm sure he is. Well, you I'm know, sure it's the, the funniest part of it was when I tasted it, I spit it out. I went, what is this shit? <laughs> and they weren't happy. Okay, so 
So getting back to our story, it's this one moment in time where they really jump on it. The marketing team and the PR team sees the moment, sees the day of like, this has been named the best whiskey in the world. This is a bellwether moment and we're going to take it for all that it's worth. They get on the front page news. They get you know international attention. And I remember back in 2014, like this being such a big moment and having people ask me like, hey, what do you know about Japanese whiskey? You know, it had people starting to ask the question. And from there, it was kind of like just a real like snowball effect. And there wasn't that much Japanese whiskey being made for a global export market, certainly not to satisfy the demand that began to pile up, right? So as we know from the economy, uh, you know, the laws of supply and demand are complicated with whiskey production because it's something that needs to age many years in the barrel. So what we're drinking today is a reflection of, or the supply of it is a reflection of how much was laid down 10, 15, 20 years ago, or 30 years ago in the case, or 55 years ago in the case of Yamazaki 55. And so nobody. 10, 15, 20 years ago was shrewd enough and, and prescient enough to be laying down that much whiskey to satisfy the demand of today. And that's across the board, by the way, not just Japan. I just had, I just did an Irish whiskey segment <clears throat> on Corolla right. and Bushmills <clears throat> is one of the few Irish distillers that actually has that kind of stock because there, cause there right. were no, nobody, what were there, three or four Irish whiskeys commercially oh, viable yeah. Irish whiskeys back in the back in the previous century. And Bushmills is one of the only ones that had you're not going to find much, you know, anything over 15 years at this point, unless you're Got getting it, it from uh, Bushmills or uh, who else would be Jameson, maybe. Oh, yeah, uh, but even Cork, where, where Jameson is made, they don't have that much old age statement whiskey, you know, when they release something, it's usually through the Middleton label. Um, it is so rare that like 35 year old Irish whiskey is like bonkers how old that would be. And the same reason, as you mentioned, it's just not something that, that people anticipated back then and certainly not with Japanese whiskey. And now the demand has grown and grown and there's not, you can't just snap your finger and have more 30 year old whiskey that was laid down 30 years ago. So there's less and less of it. There's more and more people that want it. They didn't start really laying down a lot more of it until I want to say at least 2014, right? Centauri, it's a little bit different. They were the biggest producer in the country. Centauri, it's interesting because they're such a massive company and they were already the biggest booze maker in Japan, but they're also like a big maker of soft drinks, right? So it's as if like, Jim Beam or Jack Daniels in the States was also Coca-Cola. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, like, they well, a- Suntory bought Jim Beam. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's, absolutely. yeah. I mean, yeah. the most iconic whiskey, probably of one of them uh, in the United right. States is owned by Suntory, which is. Yeah. I just mean that they're even bigger than just a booze yeah. brand. Like in Japan, they have the soft drink market um, on lock, right? So it's a big brand and they already knew, and this ties into today, today or 2023 is actually a very auspicious year for them because as you can see, as you can see, Dan, but your listeners can tell them, uh, established what well, year was. You know, 1923. So it was a hundred years. Right. So it's a hundred years of Japanese whiskey is kind of a very big deal for them. And so I believe that in, you know, anticipation of this year that they probably have some stock and some special things up their sleeves. I don't know, um, but I would imagine that other than them, the, the, the number two name in Japanese whiskey is Nika. Um, I have a little bottle of that here. I actually, as I described in my story, went to the Yoichi. Petey and Salty, it says. Yeah, PD and Salty. So this is one of their distillery-only releases that you get when you go up to Yoichi, which is the second oldest um, you know, big distillery in Japan, um, and it's up there in Hokkaido. Um, whole nother story there about how these two 
branches, how, how these two camps branched apart and separated. Started with uh, Yamazaki with Suntory and his protege broke off from him. Uh, they had a big spat. And to this day, there's still kind of like a lot of, um, I don't want to say animosity, but they don't work well together, the, the Nika people and the Suntory people. Wow. Well, Brad, yeah. before I let you go, and by the way, someone pointed out to me, that's passive aggressive when you say that, because it's really not me letting you go. It's me telling you that I want to go. Before, before I, I kick your ass out of here. Before I go pass out, I do need to ask yeah. you. So as I mentioned, a little hungover, what should I have? What is the hangover food? Here's what my options. I'm thinking, because I'm going to get taken. I'm going to get delivered because I'm not leaving the house. Jersey right. Mike's, uh, Chinese food, oh, pizza. Wow. Jersey Mike's, uh, Chinese food, pizza. Ramen, for sure. Like ramen is the ultimate hangover food. But how do I get you know? ramen delivered? I guess I could. Uh, there was a time during uh, the the you know the dark ages. I think it probably still exists now. Where like DoorDash or one of these companies was doing uh, delivery sujita, which is one of my favorite ramen spots in all of Los Angeles. The okay. problem is with ramen, it just you know it's not something that necessarily travels all that well. But what they did is they compartmentalized it, so you get like the noodles separate from the broth, separate from the onions, and oh, the, and the well, that's the pork. same problem you have with like. Uh, uh, sugarfish. I love sugarfish, right. the sushi, but yeah. the thing that makes sugarfish so good is the rice is warm. They warm oh, the rice, but when you get it delivered, the rice is not warm anymore. So it ruins yeah, the experience. Yeah, yeah. But I lose right. a lot. So I think what you're also, saying is Jersey Mike's. All right. I got you. All right. That's what I'm going to do. Do they, can they put teriyaki sauce on that sandwich? I do like a good pizza when I'm hungover. You know, I like a white pizza. White pizza, uh, no tomato sauce, just the cheese. Yeah, and the, a and little spinach. racially motivated, but messed um, <laughs> up. Well, I don't listen. see color when I have my sandwiches. But one thing I would like to point out, yes. um, speaking about uh, racially sensitive issues, is I would really recommend, uh, as in this newsletter, they kind of, with Bloomberg, you get to kind of recommend a lot of things that you're into, aside from just, you know, for me, whiskey. Um, and I am really into this movie that I just discovered called Ramen Girl. Um, that came out in 2008 with the, the dearly departed uh, Brittany Murphy, man. I still actually oh, miss her this day. Yeah. Um, and somehow, like, this movie completely slipped under the radar. I did not know that it existed. But, Dan, just imagine, okay, Brittany Murphy essentially in – it's like um, it's like Karate Kid meets, like, an Anthony Bourdain ramen episode. So it's like the ramen version of Karate Kid. So she goes over there to learn how to make ramen? She goes over there. She gets dumped by her boyfriend. She went over there for her boyfriend to Tokyo. Things fall apart. Her life is falling apart. And she finds this ramen guru to kind of take her in under his wing and bring sense and order to her life by way of this magical soup. All right. Where do you want? Where, where do you? Where is this streaming? Is this on Netflix I, or something? I, I bought the damn thing. I was like, I already know I'm going to love it. It's like, take my fucking money kind of thing. It was like $3.99 on Amazon. And I'm like, yeah. This Ramen is Girl. Maybe that, maybe I'll watch that today. That could be, that sounds like a good hangover movie. <laughs> Absolutely. Get a bowl of ramen delivered to your house because obviously you're going to want that when you're watching it and just fire it up. Okay. Fire it up. It. Brad Jaffe, a roving correspondent, his latest piece in bloomberg pursuits is about japanese whiskey about his trip over there to japan you're going to want to check it out you mentioned another piece earlier i don't remember what that was 
rewind Nobu, it. Yeah, Nobu, no go back and do that. Food and wine. But wait, Dan, I got to take the sip of oh, the fifty-five million dollar whiskey. All right, tell us, give us what you're getting there. What are the notes? Okay, so it noses a little herbally. Okay, there's some herbal stuff. Almost smells like iced tea or something. Let's take a taste. Oh my gosh, I feel like a million bucks. <laughs> I don't want to tell you this. Don't turn around. There's some snow monkeys behind you, and they look angry. Can you cab snow monkeys as pets? Could you bring back a uh, snow monkey? That would be definitely frowned upon. But Dan, again, I wanted to imply this, but I guess I'll just explicitly say it. It's not that they're angry. It's that they're horny. Oh. That's the problem. They'll hump okay? you. Yes. Humpy yeah. monkeys. You know what they say, Brad? Any port in a storm. That's what I'm saying. On those lonely winter nights, just you and the snow Ooh. monkey. Okay, leave it at that. Uh, and now we're into bestiality. Well, listen, Brad, as always, love having you on. You're the best roving, you're the only roving correspondent we have on the show, but also the great. best. And uh, we look forward to the next report from from some far-flung locale. Where are you going next, Brad? Where are you off to? I mean, per- personally, I just want to point out that it's not bestiality if the animal instigates, I don't think. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. But having said that, um, we're getting actually- canceled now too. We're, we're going to be with Jim. Jim Murray was describing whiskey as women's breast, and we're talking about bestiality. Who's who's really got the high ground we're here? It. We're not advocating it. But anyhow, I will be going to one of your favorite places in the world, Dan. I'm sure we'll connect when I'm there. The Emerald Isle. Ah, oh, for the love of sweet sort of and Jesus, uh, yeah, Ireland. How do you get on the, all these trips? I don't get on any trips. Well, I say no to all of them. That's probably part of it. Yeah, exactly. Well, because they know I'm your roving correspondent. They're I'm like, not going anywhere. They, I got invited. Anything east of the 405, I'm like, yeah, no, nah, it's not going to do it. Just a funny side note. When I met our buddies, our mutual friends in that bar in Japan, in Tokyo, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be back in L.A. after this. We should totally hang out with Dan. And they're like, he's not coming east of the 405. (laughs) (laughs) They know you. It's a freaking Berlin Wall, man. You don't live on one side of it or the other. I'm a creature of habit. I like like to stay in my my own little circle, which is about three miles from my house. That's that's about as far as I want to venture. So – Everybody, Brad, you can follow him at uh, Braffy on the uh, Twitter and on the Instagram. It's journeys underscore with underscore Jaffe. Am I right? Thank you. It's J-A-P-H-E. Yeah, there you go. Good talking to you, brother. And now, here's the universe letting us know it really doesn't want us to have a promo from Pitbull. I was wondering if you could do me one quick favor, say, hey, this is Pitbull, and you're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. It's official. What are we By the way, you dropped Dan out. Dunn? You dropped out for a second there. So if you, your phone went out. Let's try one more time. <laughs> I think the universe does not want you to promote my show. Every time you do it, it keeps dropping out. No. But don't, don't worry about it, man. One more time, you know. One, 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 one more time. One more time, I'll try one more time. Right? Right, here we go. I'm going to try one more time. That little chico pet boom, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and it's official. You are listening to What Are We Drinking with Dan Dunn. You game, play with it. Yeah. <laughs> That's good, man. And that is going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Without you, there's no show. I invite you to follow me at the imbiber.com 
on Twitter and Instagram. Podcast has a Instagram as well, at WWD underscore podcast. I'm going to be posting some video from me and Brad's rap today on the show. And I want to thank Brad for being there. Being there always for us. And you, my friends. You. You. You rock. See you later on.